Let's take up our Bibles and read at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4, which might be called a manifesto on church unity. Ephesians chapter 4, hear the word of the Lord. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he, gave himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, they grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Thus far we read this wonderful passage from the wonderful Word of God. May the Lord bless us as we have read the Word and now as we would declare the meaning of this and the application of it. As we learn from the head of this chapter, the Ephesian saints were called to walk worthy of their calling. They were blessed in Christ, and we read in Ephesians 1 verse 3 that heaven itself was uh, lavished upon the saints as they were blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Theirs was an outstanding blessedness. One of the outstanding blessednesses of the outstanding blessedness in general was unity and is unity. That is, the peace with God that sinners have through Christ's blood and peace with one another is one of the outstanding blessings that God gives to the Ephesians and to us. This is celebrated throughout the first part of the book, the doctrinal part of the book of Ephesians, also in our text, a unity, and a unity with Jewish believers so that the Gentiles, who primarily are being addressed, are lavished upon by the grace of God to be a part of the, the people of God, the Jews. And 
now as believers in Christ, Jew and Gentile together. The climax of this unity in chapter 3 is that there is, or in chapter 2, is that there is one building, one whole building that is called the house of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the head of that uh, foundation. So the walk and the life of a Christian, Ephesians were taught and we are taught, is walking worthy of who they are and of the blessedness that they have and of that blessed unity that they have in Christ. As God's one people, their calling is to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, we read in verse 4. Now, this is our calling, always. We walk worthy of the calling with which we're called as God's people, blessed to be a blessing to others and a praise to God, and in a particular wonderful way to show the unity of the body as is worthy of those who are united in Christ. So we begin a house season or a house visitation season, something we haven't done in a couple of seasons because of the plague, the pandemic. It shall be our goal as we meet together to encourage one another in the blessedness we have and in the unity of the body that we have and ought to have. And for this, we would um, snatch, as it were, not out of context, but in context, this phrase, speaking the truth in love in verse 15, that we are to do that we may grow up in all things into Christ, into his unity, for he is the head of the church. And so we want to speak of truth in love and speak truth in love at sovereign grace. You want to do that, beloved? You want to do that with me and the elders? We want to do that with you? Speak the truth in love for the glory of God? Of course we do. Let's look forward then to hearing the word of God as we're given a word here speaking the truth in love and sovereign grace, what that is, why we do that, and, and how. What, what is it about? Why and, and how to? Some points in the last of application, how to. So truth, truth in love. This is what we're to be about here. In many ways, you seek unity. This is fundamental to them all. Truth in love. Truth and love together. Truth in love, not just truth, not just love, but they go together hand in glove, sisters, as it were, sister virtues that God gives to us. Well, truth first. Truth is simply reality. It's something revealed of God. It's revealed reality. Revealed is truth. It's revealed in the creation, and there's God's commentary on all creation, his special revelation about the truth of creation and history and everything in the Word of God, the Bible. So this is the source of truth for us and the explanation of the truth that we might think of being in the image of God and we might see in the creation, but here is the source 
the authoritative source and explanation of the meaning of what we're thinking and the explanation and corrective sometimes of the truth that we thought was truth, but God says, no, it's more like this. So it's an authoritative comment is the Bible word on things that are real. So to get real, as we say in the parlance of today, is to get biblical. It's to have a dose of truth and to swallow it and and to have it come out in our speech. And really the verb uh, speak in truth could be translated truthing. It's just being a people of truth and being this word-like people. But here we would focus on the speaking aspect of truth in the sphere of love in the church. So the truth in particular, the reality of things is the reality of God, of course. And then the reality of creation and of man and of Christ and of salvation and of the church and of the end of time, of heaven and of hell, of judgment day, of the new heavens and the new earth, of eternity. This is the truth, and it's the truth of our story. All of history is explained by the word of God. God is at the center. All truth is eminently theological. That's the first head of the locus of Reformed dogmatics, as we say. Theology, or as others have said, theology is the queen of science, of the sciences. All of the sciences are ruled and governed by this truth of God. There is no truth except there be truth of God and truth of God in Christ. You realize this world used to recognize that more than it does. The world as world and fallen in wickedness doesn't recognize anything of the truth of God, doesn't want to anyway, acknowledge that there's truth. But there was some semblance of the fear of God in the early centuries of our nation as well. So institutions of learning like Harvard and, and others were to be seminaries, and they were theological institutions to train ministers of the Word of God. Can you imagine that? Harvard University, hotbed of liberalism, had as its motto, there will be truth here. In so many Latin words, they say those things. It's remarkable. But now we live in this world that would deny all the truth, and the the institutions of higher learning would lead the way in that, as well as with the help of the media, Hollywood, and everything else of the world. It's truth, ironically, and in a scary sort of way, the world's truth, it, it has a kind of truth, a kind of logic, but it's really not the truth, if you think about it. Even if there's the truth that they've stumbled across in all of their erudition of that one plus one equals two, It's really not truth in the sense that God is the God of mathematics and God is the God that counts in every sense of the word. Even doing math without God is is not a true sort of calculating. So you're figuring out God and you're saying he doesn't belong here. I know that's somewhat uh, uh, mild and, and, and almost silly, but 
It applies to every single subject that is taught. And that's why it's so important that in Christian education, at home or in school, the Word of God sheds its light on everything from history to geography to the, the history of nations, the history of the church, the history of dogma, and, and, and all things, events in the world. They're all about God working in the world, the pandemic, the work of God, good things. God is the author and the finisher of faith, not only, but he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. So truth really is something that must begin with God, proceed along the lines of the word of God, and end up at the people who are doing this truth and speaking about the truth of chemistry and E equals MC squared and all of these things. They give glory to God. And that's why we hope the graduates of late will do their chemistry and their engineering and everything else they're doing for the glory of God. Not only will they find their significance there, but that's exactly how God is is given the glory through the testimony of his, his people. And so, for truth to be true, it must be centered on God, and this is the kind of truth of which the apostle's speaking here, and especially that truth, not merely in generalities about God, but the truth as it is in Jesus. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He's the revelation of all that God is, and him we behold the glory of the God of our salvation, the God of the universe in this little babe that's born and develops and grows and suffers and dies and rises again. That's the way who's the I am who became as a man, the mediator of our salvation. So there's truth. That's real brief, of course. And then there's love. Love is simply the desire for God and delight in God. A desire for the neighbor's good. It's not just an emotional sort of thing, but it's a, a concrete intellectual decision is love, and it's a relational fellowship sort of thing. It is a covenant love, as we say in the Reformed uh, parlance. We speak of the covenant of grace to Abraham and his seed. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. That's love. I will love you. You will love me. These are our responsibilities, not only, but this is our delight. And as the people of God, this is what we enjoy. We might as well go home. We enjoy the love of God, not just the love of a person, of a personality, of a certain outstanding figure in the church or uh, someone who stands out for all his gifts and so on, or of an elder or a pastor. No, it's about the love of God. And so we're so glad this is what we have, and this is the basis of our unity in Christ, and it's why we desire that unity. Now, key point, the apostle here, when he says we're to speak the truth in love, is that this is for unity. Remember I said this passage right here in Ephesians 4 is a manifesto, this statement, this declaration of God's inspired word, here's unity. And here's how you seek it. It is that according to the context. If you look at verses 1 through 3, the uh, prisoner of the Lord who's separated from the church in prison is calling them to walk worthy of the calling 
with their call, with all holiness, and so on, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's verse 3. Then there's verses 4 through 6, which is this amazing explanation of what is the unity that we have. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, which is one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I think there's seven or so, uh, sevenfold unities that, that is described there. And then you have this uh, uh, context in verse 11 through 13 that Jesus gives apostles and prophets and so on for the edifying of the body, verse 12, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's verse 13. So that's the context. And now look at our text, verse 15. We are called here to speak the truth in love, to grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now, beloved, I submit to you that this is therefore a, 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 a word here that's speaking not just of growing and bearing fruit and so on, it is that, but of growing as one into Christ, that is, so that we're more and more like him and more and more together in him, together. Uh, All 50 of us or 500 of us or however many the Lord will will give the church, we're called to be in the diversity, in the plurality of members of the body to grow into Christ so that in that way we become one. Oh, beloved, so truth and love are for this oneness, this unity in Christ. You must have both of them, both truth and love. Paul doesn't say, just speak the truth and, and, and go for it. You know, say it however you want and all that. Or he doesn't say, just, just love people, just, just love them to pieces and hug them up a bit. And then you'll, be, you'll, you'll feel good about yourself and you'll, you'll all be one. No. Necessary is both. Necessary are both truth and love. And speaking the truth in love, in that circle of love, that sphere of living and acting and speaking. So we bring the truth. Now, this is amazing how it does this, and I'm sure you've seen it all along. If you're with a fellow believer and or a Confessing, you know, confessing believers and your true believers in true church of Christ. Say here, for example. You know what unites you and me and all of us together? That truth of God, just for example, just that one aspect of the truth, the central one, but just that. When we speak of God, every one of us, if we be true believers, is reminded that we are all under God. We're not gods. We're not besides gods. The guy you're talking to isn't God. The preacher isn't God. Your mom and dad aren't God, children. We all are under God. And so when we have the truth and we speak that, that makes us all under God and and humble together. And the egos go, you see. That's our tendency to be gods, me, myself, and I, the Trinitarian, the blasphemous Trinitarian self-god. 
But when God is God and he's declared and he's spoken of here and among you, then we're all reminded, oh, this is our place. We're under God together. Nobody's above the other as God over the other. No one's the savior of another. We are all under God. And of course, when we, we speak of the truth of Jesus, that we're all sinful. This humbles us and exalts the Savior. And lo and behold, and this, this happens sometimes literally. A man who's struck with the consciousness of his sins and knows the Savior is, is found fleeing to the Savior. And so he comes running to the Savior. And there is another sinner coming from this direction to the same Savior and the same cross. And we bump into each other. And it's a good bumping into each other. Because there we are in pleading the blood of Jesus together. That's what truth does. It draws us to the one Savior and away from the many egotists and self-righteous people that we can be. Draws us, does the truth as no opinion of man will. But the solid truth of the revelation of the way it has to be and the way and the truth and the life that God has given that's a beautiful way how the truth is for unity and then love. Note the text here doesn't just speak of having love one for another or even loving one another. It says we are to speak the truth in love. We're to be in love. I'm to be in the circle of the love of Christ and in love. And I speak not romantically here, beloved, but biblically, we're to be in love with one another. Not just to love one another, but it's even deeper than that. We're to be in this circle, this, this unbroken circle of love and what a wonderful place to be. Rather be nowhere else than in love and in the arms of God and of one another. Yes. And lifted up in prayer. In the circle of the love of the praying saints. Take these little words seriously or you take none of the word of God seriously. It's all truth in love. So we stand out in this truth and love together. When we have one of the other arguments, we may win, but not people. Or people we may win and please, but at the compromise of truth. Both are so vital. Now that's the what, why. Why do we want to speak the truth in love in order to be united? Well, the answer is obvious. It uh, should be. First of all, the answer is that we want to show that ours is a oneness of heaven. We want to show that God is one. There's only one God, as verse 6 says. There's only one God and Father of all who's above all, through all, and in you all. We show this in showing our oneness here. There's only one truth, only one way to heaven, only one love, and 
It's it, right, in the Bible. So we show this is one God. We want to show as well the oneness of the salvation of God. This is the idea of the rest of those onenesses that are described in verses 4 and 5. There's one body, one spirit, and just as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, as well as one God and Father of all, and because there's one God and Father of all. It's all these other things that have to do with our being saved and our calling and our hope and the ordinances of the church and the faith. That's the truth of the fathers living still, the truth of the body. This is to show off, I say, this unique thing, this one God and this one salvation, and that also this is a spiritual unity. Note how it doesn't say here that we need to remember this. Just are celebrating a year in this building. The building and our sharing a place in the building isn't our unity, beloved. Let's remember that. Ought not therefore divide us when we start talking about the color of the walls or the carpet. Our unity is this one body, and it's not one body. There's a lot of bodies here, it's one church body. That's spiritual heavenly. And there's one spirit, Holy Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, and one Lord who is spirit, and one faith which is truth, and one baptism which signifies spiritual realities, and one God and Father who, of course, is spirit, and they who worship him must worship him with spirit and in truth. That's the church unity of which this manifesto of unity speaks. The whole Bible speaks of this. Even when it was the case in the Old Testament, we sang of this, Psalm 133, when the church celebrated its unity in Jerusalem and when they came together for the stated assemblies and and they worshiped at the Passover, for example. Their unity was always spiritual. It wasn't just on the surface, though for a time, uh, children, God used picture books to teach the people of God. He, he wrote on the wall, as it were, handwriting literally on the wall, and he gave them a temple, and he, and he gave them priests, and they looked the part in prophets who dressed in, in camel's hair and so on. But this was all to point to the spiritual reality of oneness in God, in Christ, promised to be sure, not yet come, but still with them. Always this has been the truth of how God works and how God saves. So it's spiritual. Ours, therefore, is not and may not be an American unity. Odd that in our coinage still is the phrase e pluribus unum, out of many, one. I think we'd rather ought to say in our day out of e pluribus pluris or whatever denotes the fact that out of many, there's just many here. There's no longer oneness in America, even a constitutional sort of awareness or conservative values sorts of awareness and, and so on. Uh, but, beloved, let's, let's have done with those lesser things. God's not interested, after all, in mere nation building if the nation has earthly constitutions. He's the, he's the nation builder of the one nation under God, the church the holy nation, the kingdom of priests. And he's not interested in advancing his kingdom by politics and policies and a sword, but in establishing the kingdom as the church 
the one nation under God, the house building by the blood, spirit, and word sword of the Son of God. That's our spiritual unity, contrasted with any kind of earthly unity. That's the unity that we're seeking here. And that's why we are to seek the unity, to show off something different, something eternal, something that really is significant and heartfelt, the unity of souls. Beautiful, beautiful thing. More and more, as I get to know you and you me, I trust that we all together can appreciate the unity in the midst of the diversity. We live in different places, we lead different lives, but there's this unity of the spirit and the truth and the love of Christ. Hold on to that. Endeavor to keep that, and you show off the work of God himself and the unity of Christ. And this is art and center of why we want to show that we're one and be one. It is because of Jesus, the person and work of the mediator. This is the center of this whole passage, verses 8 through 10. Each one of us is given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, and it speaks of his ascension, but first his descension. Beloved, Why are we one? Because of Jesus. He's come down from the glorious trinity unity of heaven. And he's left that place of felicity and joy and and eternal peace to come to this chaotic world and to take on humanity, a manhood. He is a human. And join this to his divine person. And gone down he is to the depths of hell on the cross when he bore the wrath of God for our sins, for yours and for mine. And he's gone up having risen from the dead the third day and after 40 more days he's gone up to the right hand of God. And he's coming again to claim his people. But even now he's living, ever living at the right hand of God to make intercession for us. He empathizes with us. He is one with us. And a remarkable prayer of his is being answered. Remember he prayed that in John 17, Father, that they may all be one, even as we are one? John 17, 21. One of those verses you'd hardly say unless it was right in the Bible. Jesus prays for us to have a divine sort of unity, not as gods, but as people and children of God. That's why he hates the bickering, and he hates the posturing, and he hates the whatever is going to divide the church and the homes and friends. We are blessed. So we think upon the, the wonderful blessing of unity and how that's divine, how it's unity in Christ, how it's spiritual. You think also, and this is the motive really for every calling, how blessed we are. This chapter 4 begins the exhortatory part of the epistle. Paul does that often. He presents what is in the first parts of his books, and then in the later chapters he says, now therefore, that's what's there, now therefore, here's how you're to act. 
So this begins, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk with worthy of all the calling. One of the things he's drawing upon, the apostle, is that which he began speaking of in the beginning. You're blessed. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God's people, united to him, united to one another, nothing can be against you really. Nothing can hinder you and inhibit you from being my people because God is in you. He's able to do that which is far greater than you could ask or think. Therefore, endeavor to keep the unity. Grow into Christ together and show off the praises of God. And this is the ultimate motivation, the why of everything in the Bible. You could have this point on every single point of a sermon. Here's the what, here's the why, and the why is ultimately this, God will be glorified. And as Paul has been speaking of that, in fact, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 3, verse 21. That's what he means also with regard to every exhortation. Speak the truth in love. Be imitators of God in Christ Jesus. Put on the whole armor of God because God would be glorified. Be one. Show that in our house visitation for the glory of God. Now how? And with some practical things here. Maybe six or seven of these. One, always remember the why. Remember the why. Remember why we're one. Why we are striving to be one. It's not for any kind of power trip. We're going to get more influence. We're going to be a block of voters here. Develop a political party. Be able to go down to City Hall and say, we want this and we represent 5,000 families in West Michigan. Uh, It's to remember why we're one and why we're called to be one Divinely, spiritually. Remember you're blessed. Remember all the gospel. Before you endeavor to do anything, remember what God has done. And you'll be on the right path. And then take care that we're biblical. We, we need to do this. To take care that the truth we speak is not just our truth, for example. And the love that we show is not just our feelings, our love for this person or our love for this hobby horse and all this. Uh, we must be biblical here. The love we say we have must be God's and not ours, and the truth that we say we're bringing must be God's and not merely our opinions. Now that, I find, is hinted at, that ours must be biblical truth and love in the very f- verse prior to our text Our text, after all, begins with but, speaking the truth in love, but what's before that is this, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things in Christ, and so on. The problem still today is that there's many who would corrupt us by leading us astray from the word of God. 
so that we begin to assess what is truth outside of the bounds of the scripture. The consistory starts to make policies that are unbiblical, and the people of God start hating each other where before they were loving, even if it didn't feel good, because they've left the word of God. So the people don't come to church anymore, well, because they don't feel like it. When the word of God says, be there. Be rooted and grounded in the word of God. Marriages need to be established and kept in light of the word of God. Marry in the Lord, young people or older people. And when you're married, you marry till death do you part, but no man put asunder the bond that God makes. That's truth, the truth of unity. Very, very important that we keep this in our hearts and in our homes and that it begins there in the church family, that we be biblical in this about not feelings and falling in and out of love. Note here, when you're speaking the truth in love, it's not a love, you fall out of it. You're speaking in the circle in which God has put you. Speak the truth in love and remember the word of God. And in hard things. I've often said to myself, hard things. To the law and to the testimony. You go and you go and you go and you search. The word of God. You say, well, it doesn't apply to this or that situation. Yes, it does. Somehow. There'll be a text, not about your conversion and to seal your conversion experience, but there'll be some text or principle that will guide you through a hard time. Something you remember, and it could be only indirectly related to your problem. You were thinking you needed this kind of an answer, and now, and this light, and God says, no, wait on me, and I'll shine. And you'll say afterwards, you did, God. You really gave me the path of peace, perfect peace that passes understanding. And it was good. I waited and needed to hear from your word, and you gave me a word. So remember the Bible. Remember the reasons for our unity. Remember the Bible. And then remember the unity virtues. That's what I call them. Verse 2. The prisoner of the Lord, Paul, would beseech us to walk worthy of the calling with which we're called, verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, and in that way, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Virtues like lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, this is at the heart of so much of Christianity. The humble spirit, the gentle spirit, being of long-suffering, kind to one another, in the place of a sharp word, giving a kind word, awaiting to speak. Where a person needs love, you, you give them that love, and where they need truth, you guide them in truth. It could be a rebuke, it could be an encouragement, and most often is something like that. But you see, the point is that it's not something you can make a policy about or throw money at. We're going to show unity in our country by just get everybody equal. So nobody's poor and nobody's really rich, and the rich, they're going to have to give away to the poor because that's virtuous. 
and we're going to be the distributors of the wealth. In the church, that would be disaster, even in a country that's disastered well as well. Money doesn't make for unity. Forcing one another into your way of looking at things does not make for true unity. The way is truth and love. The way is Christ. And it is ever so in all spheres of life. But through virtues, it's even said by the fathers of the country that without virtue, a virtuous people, forget the Constitution. Because you can twist and turn it whatever way you want. And all the courts show this, whether they're constitutionalists or not. They, they go the way they want, unless they be a, a truly a Christian conservative man. and do that with the Bible. The devil has a Bible, you know, and he quotes it in front of Jesus, and he quotes it in front of you, and for you, and he gives you this take on it, and it's, oh, this applies, I can go get him now. When he's wanting you, God is to be virtuous. And maybe he's not leading you to a text or to some principle when you're just simply having a bad attitude. We take that lightly. Oh, he's just grumpy this morning. Just ignore him. He'll go away. No, no, he won't go away maybe, but his grumpiness will. Beloved, be virtuous. Admit your grumpiness. Admit your shortness. Confess it. Grow away from that into this virtues of Christ. And you see, every one of them has to deal with, has to do with dealing with sinners, dealing with needy people. Be lowly, not high-minded. Be gentle, not gruff and harsh, especially in office bearers, but all of us, this applies. Parents and brothers and sisters, long-suffering, bearing along with one another. This, these are the virtues nobody really cares for. Well then, that's number three, avoid disunities. Number four, like the plagues they are. Avoid disunities like the plagues they are. Long ago, I, I made a distinction between my opinion about somebody's habit or way of eating or whatever they're doing. Uh, I made a, a distinction and was given to make this, and it helped me a lot, between that habit or way of eating or way of hanging to clothes and sin. There's a difference, you know, between somebody's way of doing things and sin. But we like to think it's sin because we don't like it. That's it's not the way we do things, or as fast as we would do things, or it's not with a priority that we would do things. If I were that person, I would have called them up right away. Well, they didn't. They had something else in their mind on their fore. Life would be a lot more simple and, and more calm and peaceful, and our souls would, if we just distinguish between sin and what ticks us off, frankly. And often it's not sin, just somebody cutting us off on the road, and we don't know, maybe they were just reckless, or maybe they were on the way to the hospital and there was an emergency. We just think evil really quickly. Anybody gets in my path, look out, look out. 
So avoid disunities and, yeah, that would have to do with the carpet color and the building projects and the money you have to spend to maintain a church and upgrade it and all this stuff. Uh, relax, people of God, relax. I'm, I don't have anything, an announcement in mind, but these things happen. These things will happen. And, and all of life here as a congregation needs for us to distinguish between sin and opinion. Uh, sometimes there's sinful opinions, of course. Well, then, let's also, number five, thank God for and honor the special offices, which from verse 11 through 13 are said to be vital gifts from the risen Savior for the unity of the body of Christ. They're given for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Thank your office bearers. Do that. And I'm not seeking a compliment or even a Calvinistic compliment, but we need to do that. We need to thank God and sometimes say, and thank you too, not meaning, of course, that we're thanking you apart from God, but we're recognizing that God has given office bearers real people in whom his own image and his own work is reflected. So, have you thanked your deacon today, your elder today? I'll stop there. But now, let's remember also every member counts. Verse 7 tells us of this. Each one of us is given grace according to the gift, the measure of Christ's gift. And we're also told in verse 16 that from Christ the whole body is joined and knit together by which every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We need you, beloved. My body needs his hand and his foot, and the knee, and my mind, and everything. We all need each other. We need each other to pray. We need each other to use our leisure time in a good way, and the good way is always to get back to work, not just to lounge around for leisure's sake. Finally, hope. Last thing. Beloved, our calling is awesome. It's for the glory of God. If the church can't be one, what place can be one? Where can it really be said, e pluribus unum, out of the many, one? Where can it be said, except the church of Christ? Where can it be said that they forgive one another, they love one another, they speak the truth, and even when it hurts and people actually respond well, what can it be said? Except the church, sadly, it's often not said. It's often shown how disunited we are at the drop of a hat. At the way somebody does something, at some phrase of the minister. We're quick to find fault with everybody, with the whole thing. And they wonder, now, why don't we grow? Why don't we do the, why, 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 whatever. We forget the ways of God in our own lives. We don't always get what we want. It's a good thing, too. So it's hard. It's very hard. And our marriages suffer for it because of our lack of virtuous 
unifying behavior and speech, the church suffers. But we have hope. Our God is the God, after all, of peace and reconciliation and of all blessings in Christ, which he will maintain. And he's able, according to 3, verse 20, to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works. And there will come a time, beloved, there will come a time, I say to you because God says to you this to you, that we will all come to the unity of the Father and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We will know him as we are known, and we will mature into one perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our hope. You believe that? Do you hope that? Press on, dearly beloved, one church family bound for heaven. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God declared to us. We pray that we truly may hear it. May it come into our hearts and echo into, in our ears. And may it be what we speak about in the narthex and as we go home and in our homes and think about all the week. The word of God is powerful. We're so blessed, Lord. Oh, may we live out of the blessing. And may we be those who would put off every sin and fly to Jesus, our Savior, and know our sufficiency in him. Hear our prayers and bless this church. May there be truth in love and sovereign grace. And wherever there is the calling of a people upon the name of God in Jesus' name, amen.